On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, we are joined by Andy Serling, TV analyst and handicapper for the New York Racing Association. You can find Andy on Twitter at Andy Serling. Today we're talking about horse racing. Let's dive into the sharp side and look at the right angles in sports bet. Big bomb. Ladies and gentlemen, Jews and Gentiles, Sharks and Squares, welcome back to episode 25 of 90 Degrees, the show where we're giving you the right sports betting angles. I'm your host, Kevin Davis, and today we're joined by Andy Serling, TV analyst for the New York Racing Association, who also happens to be my uncle. But before we bring on Andy, we want to give a quick thank you to our sponsors over at Pinnacle Sportsbook. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sportsbook and is now available in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for decades. Pinnacle is where the bettors play, taking sharp action every day. No limits, low synthetic hold, and it's a must-have for those with a top-down approach. Must be 19-plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly, and sadly, it is not available in the U.S., or else I would be using it like our other sponsor, BetStamp, which I use all the time. Andy, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going great. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we're glad to have you on, and we're glad to kind of switch up the pace, to use a horse racing pun, since we usually have people from other sports talking about sports betting, but now we're talking about horse racing. So why don't you tell our listeners how you got into horse racing and how you made it a career? Um. I don't know, luck or bad choices. <laughs> I'm not sure. I, you know, my family moved to Saratoga <clears throat> when I, when I was a kid, when I was about 11. And uh, for some of you have probably been in the track in Saratoga, <clears throat> or hopefully you have, if you haven't, you should go. It's a, it's a pretty um, enticing place. And I went there as a kid when I was about 12 and thought this seems like a great place to go. And, and the concept of, of as, as I'm sure many of your listeners and viewers believe that the idea of making a dollar gambling is, is, is much more enticing than, than making money actually working for a living. So I, uh, I got addicted to going to the racetrack and I like numbers and I just a lot of stuff going on in racing. So I followed racing very, very closely and different times of my life. Um, I worked on wall street for years. I, I played in the mid nineties. I took up a few years, about four years and played full time. Um, and then I went back and I traded options. And then in 2008, I uh, got an opportunity to come work for the New York Racing Association. I had done some work for them back in the mid '90s, um, but I was—I, I, I, you know—I knew the guy Charlie Hayward, who at the time was president of Naira, was um, a big supporter of mine, and hired me to come on the the Naira show. And so I've been doing that for what now for 15 years, almost in fact, almost exactly 15 years since I started working there. And we've expanded quite a bit at Naira, where we, you know, we're we're in a deal with Fox Sports where we show our races for much of the year on Fox Sports 2, Fox Sports 1, and even occasionally Big Fox. They bought the Belmont Stakes this year, so we'll be broadcasting that as well. And so the majority of our races, about I think we do about 1,200 hours of TV um, every year now are on Fox. So it's my, my, my role has grown, and our relationship with television and handicapping has grown. But uh, I, lo- I love horse racing. I think it's an eminently fascinating game. And like anything, it's always changing. Um, you have to constantly try to be evolving and learning new things and disregarding old things, probably not dissimilar to trying to be successful playing sports, um, you know, betting on sports. So it's, I find it a fascinating game and I love doing it and I, and I enjoy, enjoy the work a great deal. I feel very lucky to have a job that I like. 
So now part of it is for horse racing is if you're looking for bets, you look at the form before the race to kind of look at how the horse did in past races, how they're doing in workouts. Uh, what do you do additionally besides reading the form to get an edge in horse racing? Well, I mean, if people aren't familiar with, with the past performances in the daily racing form, which is what I use, they're just a, a pretty fairly straightforward rundown of you know where the horse's position was during a race, where it finished, what the leader's times were. Um, you can extrapolate what the horse's times were. And I, I, I sort of, I build on that, you know, I, um, daily racing form has a product called formulator, which allows you to sort of open up the past performances, take a look at the chart of the race, who the horses they ran against were, how the race was run. So I, I use that a great deal, especially for a horse I'm not familiar with to try to figure out, well, this horse was forwardly placed near the lead. And I look at the race and I see all the horses that were near the lead in that race finished badly and all the horses that did well um, were coming from well behind. So maybe this horse was sort of against the natural flow of the race or vice versa. Maybe the horse was near the pace and all the pace setters did well and this horse did lousy. So he had a, probably a, he or she had a pretty good setup. And, and I try to sort of take the races apart and figure out if their horses ran better or worse than they ran um, than they appear to have run. You know, there are horses that win or run second that just had everything go their own way. And there may be horses you want to bet against going forward. There may be horses that ran eighth that actually had a lot of bad things happen to them that don't appear to likely to happen again today. So the horse figures to run better. I'm looking to try to figure out horses that are better or worse than they look to the, to the, the common eye. You know, not, I don't mean to say common. I mean, you know, the first person that looks at it says, oh, this horse ran second he appears to have run really well. And I might say, well, no, actually he didn't run very well. He got very lucky to be second and he have to be very lucky again today to be effective. But I also watch replays of past races to see if horses had trouble in races or certain things happen in races, what kind of trips they had. Um, I use something called Timeform US, which is also associated with the daily racing form where they do pace analysis and pace figures to try to give yourself an idea of where the horses might be situated in today's race under ideal circumstances um, and ask myself if I agree or disagree with that. Um, also, it'll tell you races they're coming out of, whether they were coming out of fast paced races, which helped closers, slow paced races, which helped horses that were forwardly placed. I do a lot of things like that. I, you know, I look up breeding. Um, I think breeding is used inaccurately by a lot of people, but the one thing that's important is horses changing surface a horse has been running on a dirt surface its whole career and now for the first time is running on the grass and in racing a horse could be the best in the country at running on the grass but if you put that horse in the dirt he wouldn't be able to compete with lower level horses and vice versa so maybe you have a horse that's run in the dirt and he's run poorly but now he's trying the first time and you look it up and there are indications based on the sire and the dam that this is a horse that might really improve trying the grass. Well, those are the kind of horses that might win or run second at 20, 30 to one because their form looks terrible, but their form is irrelevant to today's situation because this time it's running on the surface that it was sort of born to run on. So there are a lot of different factors I, I put into play and, and I, I don't feel there's any one way of looking. First of all, I feel like people can find many ways to look at races and I think people should decide what works for them. I'm sure it's the same in sports betting. People have many different approaches to betting on sports. And you can have two people who are very successful that would disagree with each other about a lot of their theories, but they both 
have sound reasoning to getting to where they are. And I think if anytime you're being an analyst, whether you're an analyst on Wall Street, if you're using sound reasoning and that sound reasoning has led you to success in the past, there's every reason to believe that reasoning can lead you to success in the future. And I think that's true of anybody that's doing any sort of risk analysis or anything, whether it's gambling, or you could say that analysis on Wall Street, they say it's not gambling, but it's just analysis, right? So I try to find things that work. And I, I also want to be aware of things that I think might work that don't work. You have to always be ready to be self, self-analytical, to be critical of yourself and say, I thought this was a smart way of looking at it, but it turns out it's not. And just move on. And you always want to, if you're not sort of moving forward, right, you're moving backwards. So based on the high variance nature of horse racing, how does a better know if they're good or not? How many bets do they need to the place? <laughs> they just ask themselves. Isn't that what everybody does? If you think you're good, you're good. Um, I, I mean, I guess you're, the answers are in your results, right? It's Horse racing has gotten very tough because the, the pools have gotten more and more efficient due to a lot of computer wagers. It's no different in sports betting. I'm sure there's people that probably were successful 50 years ago that now look and say the lines are much better, right? They're much sharper. Um, so you don't find as many opportunities where you feel the line is, is really off. Um, so y- y- you have to, I think, do you overachieve? You know, there, there's people who will say, the only thing that matters is the ROI of my top pick. I'm forced to make four picks a race because we have super factor wagering, which means you pick the top four finishers. And some people want the four picks. There are some creeps out there who say that I will give myself credit if my fourth pick wins. I don't give myself credit if my first pick wins. I'm expected to have a certain reasonable level of competence, and I, I expect that I should. And so if I pick some winners, I'm glad, but I don't go, wow, look at me. I picked a winner. I'm paid to pick winners. I'm supposed to be smart. I think I'm smart. So therefore, I, I better be smart sometimes, right? But um, in having those picks out there, there were people that will say, the only thing that matters an analyst is what the ROI is on their top pick. Well, okay, if that floats your boat, go for it. But the reality is, I believe that I'm trying to find alternatives. I'm not, every race I look at, the first question I'll ask myself is how I feel about a favorite. Because if you feel a favorite is vulnerable, you've now thrown the odds in your favor, even with the takeout. So I want to ask myself that question. Some races I'm going to say, I really don't think this favorite is particularly vulnerable. I think it's a very likely winner. So I won't really try to beat that horse. Some races I'll feel strongly, some I won't. But I'm always looking for alternatives. And I think if I'm doing my job well, I'm coming up with reasonable alternatives. And I'm saying, I'm going to pick this horse on top. He's five to one, six to one. She's five to one, six to one. Um, I understand the favorite who I've picked second is a fairly likely winner. But I think this horse is a reasonable alternative. I'll probably bet it to win. And I'll bet an exact with it second of the favorite. So that horse runs second of the favorite beaten by that much, right? At eight to one. The person who's looking at my ROI based on my first pick goes, another loser for Andy. I think, I don't know, I feel like I did a pretty good job. I'm not patting myself on the back, but I feel as though I offered a a reasonable alternative to a horse that ran well enough that there are going to be circumstances where it might have won. And if you played the exact with the second of the favorite, you made money. So I feel that's a race where I did a good job. The person who's only looking at my ROI says, you didn't. That's okay. If that makes them happy, they should do that. But I think there are a lot of ways that we can do um, 
we can be helpful where, in fact, our results aren't great. If you're going to make a strong case for a team that's a three and a half to one underdog in a game, let's say it's a baseball game, for instance, and you know you think that this team hits that pitcher that's really good well, just I'm picking some simplistic example, and they do, they hit the guy, but it happens that your pitcher doesn't hold up very well and it ends up you lose, you know, the pitcher, the, the, the great pitcher gets knocked out in the second or third inning and the game gets wild and it goes to overtime and your team loses. You didn't make a bad pick. You had a great idea with a three and a half to one shot, right? You, you, you lost. But I don't think that means you made a bad selection. I think your, your, your thesis for, for betting that team was correct. It didn't work out for you. There are times when you'll win bets and you'll think, yeah, I won that bet. But you know what? I'm not so sure that I had the right side. I remember the Knicks pulling an upset many years ago. I think 1999, they beat Indiana in a six-game series. It's very rare in a seven-game series in the NBA, that the, the best team loses. It's very rare. The best team lost that theory. That's, That's that why I think the NBA has the best playoff format of any Yeah, sport. because the best teams win. You know, In this case, a crazy number of wild things happened. Larry Johnson hitting some wacky four-point play. <clears throat> the best team lost. It, it's going to happen sometime. It was a lockout that year? Yeah, that was a lockout year, right. The Knicks made the finals. So maybe the right. seating was off? Yeah, I'm not so sure about that. I just think that it's got lucky in that particular series to win. It happens. It's going to happen over time, right? It's going to I mean. Yeah, and then they got killed based, by the Spurs. Our, yeah, we base our lives. Yeah, they did. Yeah. I met Bernard King. I went to one of the games. I met Bernard King. It was very exciting for me. I think he was not nearly as excited as I was. But um, we, we base our lives on a time continuum where over time, if we're smart, we're going to get paid. So now this brings up an interesting topic. So if you're a sports better and you have a losing bet and you come close to winning, you want to look at the see the closing line value. Did you beat the closing line? So you say, okay, I lost the bet, but I beat the closing line. I got positive EV. For a horse racing better, they don't really have the closing line because they're doing a paramutual pool where the price is tied to the market. So how does a horse better, what sort of indicators does a horse better have that they are giving a better estimate of the race than the market gave? Well, a better, they make money at the end of the year. I mean, it's as simple as that, right? Um, it's very, very hard to do now. People get some rebates depending on where they're playing, depending on the level and how they do. But at the end of the day, it's how it, whether or not you make money. And in racing, it's much different, I think, than sports betting, though there are now because there's so many prop bets and different things. But racing offers an incredible <clears throat> menu of betting. <clears throat> In most races, you can bet win, play, show. I don't know why anybody would ever bet place or show, but whatever. Um, exactas, where you pick the first two finishers in order. Triples, where you pick the first three finishers. And superfectas, pick the first four finishers. Uh, we have a lot of bets. Um, you have daily doubles in almost all races, one tied to the next one, where you pick two consecutive winners. Pick threes, where you pick three consecutive winners. We roll them along. So you'll have one if there's a nine-race card in race one, race two, race three, race four, race five, race six, race seven. Um, pick fours, where you pick four straight winners. We'll have two or three of those a day. Pick fives, where we'll have a couple of them a day, where you pick five straight winners. Then we have the pick six, which features a carryover component if nobody picks six on a given day. So there are many different possible ways to make your money work for you. And it's up to a horse player to, you use these multi-race or multi-position bets to spread your horse racing acumen over different slots. There's a very flawed um, thinking 
in racing that says, let's say the win take out is 16% and the pick three or the pick, let's pick four take out is 25%. The reality is that you're better off betting the 25% bet with a pick four, assuming that you are a good handicapper and a good better, right? Everything is predicated on the fact that you believe that you're good at ticket construction. Your, your handicapping knowledge, your acumen, your betting acumen, your handicapping knowledge is better than the other people. You're playing against other people in a paramutual betting system. You've got to be smarter than the others betting. You could, every slot you move it out is going to disperse that takeout, right? So if you bet just win at 16%, it's just one slot. But if you're betting a pick four or a superfecta at 25%, there's really no difference in the mathematics of it. You're dispersing the takeout through four different positions, right? So it's going to become much lower. That's why if you do the math, I, I haven't done it in years. When I was smarter, I used to be able to figure out these equations when I was younger, I should say. I think I'm just as smart. I just, I'm just older. Um, so you, you have a good you know, gene pool. The expected, what's that, gene pool? You have a good gene um, pool. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, that's that's the secret everybody, right? Um, or not everybody. Some people overcome it and some people don't. Uh, it, it's like the take the payoff of a pick four rates to be 40% or whatever it is above the parlay. So you're better off betting that 25% pool, even though they're only returning 75 cents on every dollar. If you if your, your sup- theoretical superiority, and we all believe we're superior, right? Um, is going to show up more the more slots you go into. So the idea and exact is, I mean, just to make it even more simple, you like a horse that's three to one. Okay, you say, you know what? I could bet $100 on this horse at three to one, but I can look at this race and I'm not thrilled with the favorite. I'm going to use him, but I'm going to make a sort of a staggered, some sort of plain exact as and use three horses second. And I think there's a pretty good likelihood that if I, it's a, eight horse field where I'm using. So now I'm eliminating four horses. I can turn that three to one shot into a six to one shot if, if it wins and I hit the exacta. Mm. And I believe I'm going to be right more than 50% of the time. That's a way to increase your returns, right? So you use exotics, whether they're exactas, trifectas, superfectas, pick doubles, pick threes, pick fours. You can, you can pick and choose which pool or pools you feel is the best way to maximize this particular opinion you have. Or maybe your opinion is that you feel the favorite's very weak and you want to construct an exacta play or even a triple play, a trifecta, where the favorite's a little bit sprinkled in for third, where you feel that you can return if you're right about that favorite. Um, there's a lot of different ways to play, but I think the biggest mistake people say, I think at horse racing is you're a good handicapper, therefore you're going to win at the racetrack. Uh, the, the most successful players I've known in my life were not particularly great handicappers, but were amazing bettors. Well, that's definitely the case for sports betting. That you have a lot of people who are good at analyzing games who have the wrong strategy for placing the bets and markets they focus on. I'm sure. Now, one story viewers I remember is one day, it was 2010, we went up to Saratoga. And you were on TV, and there was a turf race. I think it was a maiden race or a claimer. It was definitely a hard race to handicap. It was a route. And you were all over this um, dirt horse that was transferring the turf. I think they were a morning line, 10 to 1 or 12 to 1, and you picked it. And the price ended up dropping the 6 to 1, and it won. And then you came into the stands to say hi to my dad and I. And some guy's like, hey, Andy, what about some winners? And you're like, you haven't been paying attention today. 
And that like got me to thinking of that horse dropped from a really large price to an even shorter price that was still large. Would there have been more value on that horse that day or other similar horses if he did it in a daily double as the last leg uh, before the market kind of caught on? Or do the daily double odds kind of track with the win place show odds uh, for a single race? Well, forget about place and show. Don't, don't even discuss that as though that's a bet that exists. Um, they're, they're fairly similar. There are times you'll find some hidden value in that. It's possible. I don't remember the horse. I remember the situation that that horse was a much bigger price in doubles. It depends. You know, there are times, I mean, listen, I'm not going to be, I, I, I'm not one of those guys that says my opinion is greatly affecting the prices. It'll affect it a little more in Saratoga than others, but it's still not a that massively significant I don't know. Sure, the horse might have been better priced in the doubles. I don't remember the situation. I don't remember the horse. Um, yeah, I mean, I look at doubles. I look to see what my price are doubles, and I'll often look um, to see if I can, you know, if I feel pretty confident about two or three horses in the first leg and to play doubles to get live with my horse to hopefully lock in a certain price, and hopefully that price will be better than the one that the horse goes off. But sure, I mean, that's another example of trying to do that. Maybe it was a bad morning line on that horse to make a 10 to one. I don't remember the horse at all. I think that I feel like the morning line was right because I didn't see anything in that horse's form. On, well, yeah, on but that's what I, was, what I was talking to you about looking up pedigrees on yeah. horses trying the grass the first time. I don't remember the circumstances. There may have been a trainer that was particularly good at doing that. It may have been a fairly obvious pedigree as well. So I don't really know. I don't know. I can't. I also remember for- that my father listened to you and I didn't. And I'm like, damn. No. Learn my That's lesson. Okay. No, I don't know. You're, you don't have to listen. People don't have to listen. I mean, <laughs> I think one of the things about, and I think you'll see this in all kinds of betting, is you should have your own opinions um, in general. I mean, you might listen to other smart people or people that you believe are smart. And to me, it's the presentation of it. When I'm doing my job, I, I when I'm doing, when I'm on, whatever, I'm on Fox or I'm on the pre-race show, I want to give my opinions of why I like a horse. And what I've seen, why I think certain horses are vulnerable, why I like a specific horse in a race. And I think somebody listening should think, I didn't like the horse that Andy liked, but his opinion resonates and he makes some good points. Maybe I'll use them. Or maybe they listen and think, you know what? I didn't like that horse and I'm listening to Andy and I don't think what he's making saying makes any sense. And maybe they're right. You know, it doesn't work for me. People, they can blindly bet your picks or not. But I think if you're you're finding an analyst, and I'm sure this is very much the case with sports analysts, you want to listen to what they have to say, why they have an opinion that they have. Did they see something that you missed? Did they see something that maybe you had sort of glossed over, but maybe it's a more important point than it was? I just think anytime you're gathering information on something, you're trying to, you may evaluate other people's opinions, especially if somebody's opinion that you have some respect for. Is, are they saying things that matter? I listen to other smart handicappers and I want to hear what they have to say. I may completely disagree with them. I used to do the show with a guy named Mike Beer who handicaps the racing form. I think Mike has some crazy opinions sometimes. I also think he's a superior handicapper with some great ideas. And when I was in the show with him, we would frequently disagree and he would cause me to at least accept that he was making very good points and use his horses and it worked well for me over time. So I'm, I, I prefer to talk to somebody who... I disagree with, but respect their opinion because they very well may show me something that I didn't see. And if I disagree with them, obviously they saw things I didn't. And I think if I respect them over time, not always, and everything I say doesn't make sense to everybody or anybody, 
Um, doesn't even make sense to me afterwards when the horses run badly, I guess. So I, I think you have to be open to listening to other people, but not necessarily blindly following their picks as much as following their logic or listening to their logic. Yeah, I mean, you have a tough job because you have to handicap every single race. And most sports betting analysts can pick sort of what games they want to analyze. And even if they did have to make a pick for every single game, they would still be at an advantage um, because a blind monkey using BetStamp, one of the sponsors of this podcast, could pick baseball games and come close to break even just by using the best odds available at legal sports books. So, you know, how do you determine which races are worth betting, which races are worth skipping? Well, first of all, I don't think I have a tough job. I, I get paid to go to the racetrack and talk about horse racing, which I love. So I, I don't. I think that would be um, ridiculous to say I have a tough job. I have a great job, the job that I dream my whole life of having. And I'm thrilled that I've had this opportunity. And I'd like to think that I've, I've been a, a positive influence on handicapping. I'd like to think that. I hope I have. Um, some people will tell you that's nuts. Some people will agree with that. It's life. Um, I, I, you know, in giving out my picks, I, I think I do a pretty good job of saying I feel pretty good about this race or I'm really interested in this race. And some races, you know, listen, sometimes you get these races and it's like there's sort of two and a half horses that can win. One's even money and one's five to two. And sort of like there's not a lot to say about it. And you don't want to press and try to create something that's not there. So I try to give a better impression. And, and there's a good chance if I'm giving out a horse that's six to one or higher that that's a race I'm going to be betting. In fact, there's a good chance. It's absolute. If I'm giving out prices like that, I'm always going to bet something on them. So um, I, I try to hopefully people can get from what I'm talking about what I'm more interested. And since I'm somebody who's at least looking to try to beat favorites when I'm picking against favorites, I try to be sort of clear about this race I'm really interested in. And when I'm telling you, I think the four to five shot's going to win. Now, I may say I have this great idea for second. I don't think this horse can win, but I think it'll be second at 15 to one. Pretty good chance I'm betting exactors or trifectas. So I, I hope that I could do a decent job of getting it across. I mean, it's a fine line, right? You, you, you are handing out the track. We want people to bet. So I, I don't want to tell people don't bet this race, but I also want, you have to have a certain amount of integrity to let people know this is not a race that I'm overly interested in. And I think that I do a decent job of that. I'd like to think I do. Yes, yeah, certainly. And I, I would say, I think you do work very hard because I've seen you at work because not only do you have to be on the camera before every race, but in between races, you're watching video for like races weeks ahead. You're looking at the form before they set a morning line. I mean, no, I, I, I like to think everybody works hard at their jobs. Yeah. But I think, you know, I think you could, exp you, 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 you should expect people to all be super prepared. You shouldn't be surprised when some people aren't, but you should expect a level. I think that, I think everybody, I, I think that if you, you go to, to a restaurant, you should expect that the people working in the kitchen are doing their best to make the best food possible for you. I, I think we we all should expect a level of excellence from ourselves. Yeah, that's always a good point. Now, like one disadvantage I think you have with the long shots is like you're looking at putting them into uh, exactas or win bets or long term bets where you may not get a return very often since they're a long shot. But if I like a long shot in baseball, I can pick a, a run line. Like the World Baseball Classic was amazing because you had teams with no chance of winning like China against Japan. But you could pick China plus nine and a half. And as long as they don't lose by 10 or more runs, you win the bet. Okay. I mean, but, but then you're not getting, it's not a long shot. Then you're betting around pick them, right? I mean, you're just holding your breath. 
or you know, you can do those alternate run lines. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't have, if somebody said to me, I have proof, you're going to bet this horse, it's 10 to one. So you bet a dollar, you get $11 back, $10, 10, $10, 10 to one. That horse is going to win one out of seven times. Well, I'm going to bet it every single time it runs and going to be okay when it loses the six times. If I knew that it was going to win one out of seven, I mean, it's like anything. I mean, it all comes down to coin flips, right? If you and I are, you know, you and I are in a jail cell together and we're both billionaires and we flip a coin all day long and I get a dollar five from you if it comes up heads and you get a dollar from me, it comes up tails and we're in jail for a few years, I'm going to leave with two billion and you're going to be broke, right? It might come up your side 10, Well, that's assuming an honest coin toss. An honest coin toss. Yes, yes. We, we assume the coin toss is honest. So, of course, it's all like that. If, if it, over time, I mean, the idea is if I'm betting on 10 to 1 shots that they're going to win more than once out of 11 times to break even, um, it also means they're probably going to lose eight times. At, you know, they, they're going to lose. I'm hoping they're going to win one out of nine times, right? They're going to lose a lot, too. You have to be ready to lose. You have to be com- I mean, let's face it. You can't make money gambling in anything you're doing. You can be playing poker. You can be playing sports. You can be playing horses, whatever it is. You got to be ready to lose because you're going to have losing streaks. You're going to have periods when you lose. You just, if, if you have some sort of evidence or belief that over time, what you're doing is right and you'll be successful, you just have to soldier forth and you have to soldier through the losing streaks. Now, I am going to bring up some evidence that goes against something you said earlier. So you said never bet, place, and show. So one of the... Never, it's just a, it's, a, it's just a, it's a, okay, you can go ahead, but I'm happy to just, to, the problem of any place and show is that you are the mercy of the horses that also run for, if you bet place, you're at the mercy of the other horse that runs first or second. If you bet show, you're at the mercy of the other horses that run first and second or third, and they are going to greatly affect the payouts. So you can show me a counterexample, but I'll give you a counterexample to anything you tell me you shouldn't do. Well, I'm an actual contrarian. So Right. Show betting is moronic, but go ahead. So an early guest of the show at Vegas Horse Pool, Scott, by the way, he's a huge fan of yours. He also uh, helps uh, with Spank Odds, which is a great sports betting odds provider platform. Being a fan of mine, by the way, may just be a character flaw. I, While I appreciate this person's support. I think it's always their fan of mine. A fan of mine is not necessarily a character. So anyways, Vegas Horse Pools, <laughs> he had a, had a system at a Las Vegas sports book that offered loss rebates as well as like comp cruises uh, for horse racing. So he developed the computer program where he bets every single horse to show in every race. Um, and he figured that uh, Mountaineer Racetrack was the best for this. Since they so had the they highest, pay, they pay two twenty, right? They yeah, pay they pay two twenty minimum for show. And he found a place that would take bets on this. Yeah, and give a rebate. Yeah. Okay, I, I'm wrong. I'm the moron. Yes, he was smart. So, um, like, that's an example of I like to take the rules of never do this, and once I know a subject well, figure out for the never do this rule what are the exceptions. I just mean for the, the, the average person going, here's where show works, to be fair. A bunch of novices go to the track and they want to have fun in a day. And there's five of them and they make a show parlay pool, right? They each put in $50 or something and they're betting and they're trying to just get a horse show and they go, that may be a fun way for them in their day. I think 
everything for betting depends on what people are looking for. Um, I know someone that will tell you that a newbie goes to the track and the best thing I can do is tell them this horse can't lose. Now that horse is two to five. I'm going to pay 280. I disagree with that with all my heart because the problem is when that happens, there's an expectation that the horse is in fact going to win. It's a fait accompli. So that horse is two to five. It is going to win 70. Let's say the two to five is accurate. It's going to win 70% of the time. It's going to lose 30% of the time. So I think that person goes, you just told me that horse couldn't lose. And that horse lost. This is fixed. This is that. I would. Re- I think you have a better chance if you have a guy who's going to the first time or they're learning about racing. And I tell them about some six to one shot that I think is really interesting. I'm fully aware that this is not a likely winner, but I think this is the kind of horse that if you bet over the course of time, you'll make money with. And they bet that horse understanding that there's a good chance they won't win. But if they win, they're going to get some real return, right? Um, and the horse runs second. I think they're excited. They go, that horse came close to winning. It could have won. This could have happened. That could have happened. I like betting on that horse. So there's different schools of thoughts. I'm not saying I'm right. That's my philosophy. And I think there's a very, very stupid subculture. You're going to be surprised to hear there are stupid people on Twitter. I know this blows your entire illusion of Twitter. Um, there are also smart people on Twitter, but they're also that like to take something I said, not out of context. They're just not smart enough to understand it. I feel that my job is to help people lose less. Most people are the racetrack. They're not going to win. And most people, and I'm talking about, well, you know, not people who are spending an enormous amount of time on the track. People are listening to me are playing at some sort of level, casual level. They're not really even expecting to win. People that play golf know that their golf is going to cost them thousands of dollars a year playing. They love playing golf. Some people are going to like going to the racetrack, playing the horses 10, 20 times a year. They realize that they're not likely to win over time, but I feel like I can give them a better chance to be in the action. You know, if a guy goes to the track and has a bad opinion, doesn't know anything that's going on, and there's 10 races and they bet every one of them and their horse runs an average of six, they probably had a relatively lousy time, right? They just like, I have no idea what's going on here. I was never even in a race where I could root for my horse in the stretch. Now, maybe I'm going to help them bet a few horses that are bigger prices and maybe they won't win, but maybe they'll bet a 10 to one shot that runs well and runs second. And they were excited. They rooted in the stretch and they think, you know, that horse didn't win today, but it came close. And next time I come, it's going to win. So I think the idea is to give people a better idea of how to handicap, what's going on, and some better ideas of horses that will run better. They may or may not win. Hopefully they all win. But I think the idea of helping people lose less is ideas to help them be more engaged, to have a better chance to win. Um, maybe win on some, they're going to win on some days. Listen, people keep going back to casinos, even though the vast, vast, vast majority of them know that over time they're going to lose, right? doesn't mean they might not have a big winning night that night. And I feel the same way about racing. I don't feel that most people that are going at a casual level expect to win over time. But I think if you can help them be more engaged and have better horses to bet on in a given day, make them form better, more informed opinions, it's going to increase their enjoyment of the game. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Yeah, because there's there's one thing going around uh, in the gambling community for sports where people think that the analysts who work for sports books, they hire them on purpose because they're not very smart. And my, my angle for why I disagree Jason with that, White, is that what you're getting to here? Is you or me? <laughs> not for us in particular, okay. uh, but for other people <clears throat> that I know because they work for, you know, DraftKings or FanDuel or PointsBet and they're giving their favorite picks. Um, you know, but for them, they just want to get people in the sports book because they figure if they're betting, if they're occasionally winning, they'll eventually give them the money back. Okay. I mean, but... <clears throat> I'm not going to sit around with the cynical narratives, what people are thinking about them. They may be right, they may be wrong. I'm not in that field, so I don't really know. I don't have any way to judge that. You know, but for your role... No, I'm with, doing the best I can. <laughs> with the sports books, what makes a difference is people are betting directly against the sports book. But the racing sure. track... You know, the track wants the people watching to win because they're going to make the same money no matter what uh, because of the takeout. We're not, no, we're not rooting against anybody. We never want to be in a situation where we're rooting for or against. Never want there. You know, that's, you know, the problem um, minus pools create that situation. You know, minus pool is when there's so much bet on a horse it'll happen in show um, to show that we're going to actually pay out more money than is bet after takeout. So that's actually a situation where we're rooting for the horse not to hit the board, right? Because we're going to lose money. Um, that's a bad situation. I, I, I feel as though there's an argument that um, oddly minus pools go against the whole concept of paramutual wagering. We should never have any rooting interest, right? Ever. We should never be able to say, you know, there are crazies out there that say the stewards took down that horse because it was better for the track if it came down. Now, there's zero truth to that at any level, but you don't want to be in a situation where they might be right, you know? With the takeout being high in horse racing, since you guys have to run the horse races themselves and the sports books don't have to run the baseball games, the baseball games are going to happen no matter what, but the horse races aren't going to happen without the gambling. How do you keep people interested so they keep coming to the track? Well, first of all, you say keep coming to the track. Or the app. One of the great, one of the, right, or Fox, watch us on Fox Sports. Um, one of the great misnomers is we don't do a good job of discussing virtual attendance. It would be like saying the Yankees only have 50,000 fans because 50,000 people go to Yankee Stadium. And they've got millions and millions of fans watching on TV or listening on the radio or watching on their computer or whatever. Um, and horse racing where, yes, we used to get 30, 40,000 people all the time at Belmont Park. And now we get, you know, 10% of that on an average day. Um, but we have many, many more people actually participating by betting because now they're simulcasting. Simulcasting didn't come until the mid 90s at a high level. So now people can bet all over the world on our races and they can watch all over the world. Um, <clears throat> how do you keep it? Well, you have to hope that people are interested in racing. I mean, you have to be willing to accept that all of these things, you're a niche sport, right? You know, it's, it's, I was saying this the other day about something. It's there's a Jerry Garcia line when he said that the Grateful Dead are like licorice. A lot of people don't like licorice, but those that do like it a lot. We're the same way. Well, maybe that's the same for horse racing, right? Where there's a small amount. And I think 
the biggest, mis- you know, I, I don't believe in this, you know, this huge that we're going to bring all these young people to the racetrack. I think the way to get people, there's people, there's a lot of people out there that somewhere in them have an interest in betting on horses and handicapping horse racing. They just may never have been exposed to it. Just like me, when I moved to Saratoga as a, as a kid, I wasn't really exposed to it to understand that this is what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So the idea is that by being on Fox Sports, by having this large exposure, we're exposing more and more people to it. By having something like Saratoga in the summer, where we get over 25,000 people a day, it gives you a chance to expose them to that sport. And hopefully a certain number of those people, newer viewers, newer attendees, will find that they find something interesting about racing. And I'm hopeful that if I'm doing my job well, some very small percentage of them are going to become more interested listening to what I have to say. Or maybe what Maggie Wolfendale, who's our paddock analyst, talking about a horse's look, or different other people on the show. We're trying to engage people. And the larger the audience you're exposed to, the more people have an opportunity to find out they like racing. So racing, to me, is the most fascinating thing in the world. I mean, there are other highly respected people in other walks of life that find racing to be eminently fascinating. Um, It's a game. It's a way of... um, if it fascinates you and you like it and you find it interesting, you will get engaged. And I hope that we're getting more people engaged. The handle numbers are still fairly strong. There's, there's, you know, there are issues with handle that are accurate about handle where it's not as high as it could be or was, but there are also misnomers out there. Um, When handle peaked around 2004, I think at around 15 million, an enormous amount of that handle was rebate driven handle. And as those situations changed, the handle ebbed from that. So that's a bad number to look at. But there are a lot of different ways to look at it that are positive or negative. But we just have to Do you think trying. the expansion of slot machines and other casino gaming to racetracks is helping out the sports, uh, the horse racing industry? Well, it's helped the industry if they're getting a piece of the action, right? Um, so, yeah, if it's increased purses... There's two people that fund racing. There are the betters, whose money with the takeout goes towards funding racing. There are owners that put their money up to buy horses. Um, they're not always mutually exclusive. There are many betters, owners that bet also. Um, so the casino dollars that have fl- gone into purse money has made it fairer as an owner and made more people stay in as owners, and that helps the game. There are different situations with casino dollars being given to racing. Um, and as a side, there's enormous um, big lie out there that the New York Racing Association I work for gets a subsidy from the slots. We don't get a subsidy from the slots. We traded land. We made a deal with the state. We traded the deeds to land worth billions of dollars in return they could open casinos on this land where they couldn't if they didn't have it. And they're giving us a piece of the action. So we're not getting a subsidy. We actually made a deal. We're getting paid for something we gave them. Politicians like to mislabel this sometimes for their own. Um, believe it or not, I know you're, you know, I know you're, you, you think that politicians always tell the truth. They'll sometimes mislabel this and it gets mislabeled in newspapers and these lies get perpetuated. But different tracks have different agreements, but the, the, those dollars. But on the other hand, you could also argue that the proliferation of casinos in general has hurt racing because it's drawn entertainment and gambling dollars away from racing, right? There's an argument that sports betting could have a deleterious effect on us. We'd like to think that we can get involved with 
different companies that take sports bets and draw some of those sports bettors into betting on racing. Now, when should bettors look at, if they want to do a pick four or other multi-race bet, when should bettors look at doing a mechanical parlay or you know just betting your first horse to win, carrying over that money to the next race, betting the next horse to win, and et cetera? Or are the, the multi-race payouts better than that? Yeah, I hate that because you're, you're doubling the takeout. I, I, I don't like that. I think, let's say you like a horse in the first, I mean, in a, in a perfect world, those two horses you like are in three consecutive race, three races, like they're within a pick three or even a pick four. I would say rather than bet the win, you know, you bet $20 to win on horse A. If it wins and pays four to one, you got a hundred, you bet the hundred on horse B. I would rather, let's say it's the first and fourth legs of the pick four. I'd rather take that $20, $100, whatever you're going to bet and make a pick four play where you feel like you're covering yourself reasonably well in the races in between. So if you win with horse in race A and in race B, you're going to make money in that pick four. You know, that's going to be much more profitable over time. As you correctly pointed out, these people that make parlays in sports, they're getting the takeout in both legs. You're doing the same thing if you're making the parlay in horse racing, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, one thing that drove me nuts during March Madness was people kept talking about how you're better off doing a mechanical parlay to bet the winner of the tournament rather than doing the the futures pools. And that sort of ignores the possibility of if there's upsets in the tournament like there were this year, um, the team that you like is going to be a much shorter price in the later rounds because they avoid the better teams. Yes. Yes, futures. <clears throat> I mean, obviously, also, if you're betting a future in, in the NCAA tournament, one of the reasons you may want to take your certain team is you see their path and they're 50 to 1 to win the tournament. I'll pull a number out of the air. But you know their path is supposed to include the number one seed, and you think that number one seed kind of sucks, and you think it's vulnerable before your team would even have to play them. So you think one of the reasons that they're better, that their their odds are much more likely than the two percent at fifty to one, is because you think there's a much more reasonable chance they won't play that one seed, right? And if you're right, you know, so, so yeah, of course, yeah. I, I have a friend who was very successful in Calcutta pools back in the day before sports betting became so pro- pro- prolific. Um, in in an NCAA tournament where where they'd start at the bottom and move away the top, some of your your viewers may understand uh, Calcutta pools. And he was very good at seeing foreseeing how much money would be in the pool, what the fair odds were, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't he try doing a uh, futures bet on Princeton this year, and didn't he get limited to less than I get limited? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. The same person. Yes, yeah, yeah. Who shall remain nameless? He he got. I forget what site it was maybe DraftKings. And, and I know, I mean, I have the, I have a screenshot of it, so I've seen it. They had Princeton at 10,000 to one. And this has nothing to do with the fact they won their first two games. He told me about this before the tournament. It was more because 10,000 to one on Princeton just seemed ridiculous. And also because he knew they wouldn't take that much of his bet. So he bet $500 on them, um, wondering what amount of the $500 they would take at 10,000 to one. And what, what did they take? 20 cents, right? 20, 20 cents. cents. Yes, they took 20 cents of his best. So he got two dimes, but not two dimes in the way that he wanted. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So he, he got 20 cents of 10,000 to one on them. 
It would have been a it would have been a story I think that might have actually gotten some legitimate traction had they somehow made it the final four like Penn did in '79 before they ran the Magic Johnson. Yeah, but the Princeton example, you know, as well as other examples of this year's tournament, you know, goes to show you of sort of, you know, looking at tournament elimination pools, uh, picking the right, you know, upsets. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Do you have any last words for our audience today? Um, no. Um, keep listening to Kevin. He's great. And not just because we're related. No, I think, you know, I, I think that the, the, the talk about is in any gambling you're doing, try to figure out what you're doing wrong as opposed to what you're doing right, you know, because you'll, you'll do more right things when you figure out the things you're doing wrong. But I think one of the things that's so interesting about any gambling pursuit and any type of this stuff is it's, it takes a great deal of thought. It's a thinking man's or thinking woman's um, preoccupation. And I like that. Anytime you're using your brain and doing that and keep trying to evolve and get better and you get better sometimes by just not doing the things that you, that are, that are bad, that are hurtful what you're doing but listen I, I love i love handicapping horses i love the process of handicapping horses i like the process of trying to figure out how to make money betting them as well there's a whole lot to offer in all of this stuff and they're all intellectual pursuits whether you, you could be a games player you know whether you poker or backgammon or bridge or you know any of those games any of these kind of intellectual pursuits they're all intellectual pursuits and i think they're a lot of fun all right andy thanks for coming on the show today thanks for having me the easiest way to improve as a sports better is to use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today for free. If you're looking to sign up for a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Big bomb bomb bangers. Thank you for tuning in to 90 Degrees presented by the Hammer Betting Network and Pinnacle Sportsbook. Head over to our website, thehammer.bet for all your sports betting needs. If you've enjoyed the show, please click the like button. If you're new to the channel, hit the subscribe button. If you've made it this far, please drop a comment on your favorite Kentucky Derby bet. Let's cash.